From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We are kicking off a new In Her Boots podcast series with Inga Witcher of Around the Farm Table and St. Isidore's Farmstead Creamery. Today, Inga shares her inspiring farm story from her family's dairy roots to receiving a beginning farming loan from FSA to where she is today, running a farm, a creamery, and hosting a national TV show. A strong champion of female farmers, Inga sums it up best. Women have been farming since the beginning of time and it's time we were recognized. Inga Witcher is a fourth-generation dairy farmer who owns and operates a small micro-dairy in western Wisconsin, turning the milk from her eight grass-fed cows into a raw milk cheddar at St. Isidore's Farmstead Creamery. Inga is also the co-creator and host of the PBS series Around the Farm Table, highlighting Midwestern farms and artisan food producers through education and entertainment. We are kicking off a new series of our Moses in Her Boots podcast, and I am so excited because we are here with Inga Witcher in Wisconsin, and she, folks probably know her name, she is host of the Around the Farm Table show, but she has such roots in agriculture and is such a champion of women in organic agriculture that we are just so proud that you are here and part of our state because we want to talk about your story now, and you have traveled around and been on multiple coasts, but now you're here. And uh, again, we're grateful, but we really, it's the story behind where you are today that I think is so empowering because we get a lot of young women coming to our Boots workshops and listening in. And it's that story that sometimes things take different detours, right? Yes. (laughs) And you probably didn't see yourself here as a farmer, as a TV host, as a spokeswoman, seriously, about our, our agriculture community. But so it is, right? And it's a fun ride. <laughs> it's incredible. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for what you're doing for women in agriculture, especially here in Wisconsin. And you're right. I didn't think that I was going to be a TV host. I never thought I was going to be a dairy farmer. And I never expected I would be living in Wisconsin. When I was a kid, I grew up on my parents' 180-acre dairy farm. My parents did rotational grazing on their farm, meaning they Move the cows every 12 hours to new pasture. And, and that was out on the West out Coast, Washington? Just outside of Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. And so it was a lovely growing up on a farm. I loved it. I was the youngest, so I got to spend a lot of time hanging out with my grandpa on the tractor, feeding calves. But I wanted more than anything to be a hairdresser when I grew up. <laughs> I just... I just wanted to wear sure. tons of makeup, wear like a whole sleek outfit. It was and just a big hair era hair. back then. Yes, I exactly. Yep, I was there. <laughs> and then uh, I went, after high school, I went for my first year of beauty school and I failed. I flunked out my first semester. So I had to think of plan B. And at that time, my parents, back in the 90s, the mid-90s, 
a lot of the dairy farm families in Washington were having to quit farming. We were getting pushed out by urban sprawl, high land prices, low milk prices. So, Similar so, so things to happen. Dairy you know. had been in your family for generations. Then. I'm fourth generation. Wow. Yeah, my great grandfather actually started his own uh, milk delivery company. So he milked cows and he delivered bottled milk and delivered milk. Then my grandfather and my grandmother milked cows, and it was always, you know. Those 50 cow dairies back when you could make a living off of 50 cows. What a wonderful time. Hold that thought. We're going to get back to that thought. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, back in the mid-90s, my parents actually sold their cows and they built a sustainable golf course on their farm and then eventually sold that as a park to the county. After they sold that to the park, a woman from Switzerland had hired my dad to move to Virginia about an hour outside of D.C. to start an organic dairy farm creamery, bakery. We had all kinds of different heritage breed hogs, sheep, you name it, we had it. And it was a lovely experience. And I started making cheese there. And so that's when I kind of delved into cheese making. And then uh, my oldest brother had moved to Wisconsin to start dairy farming here. And he had kids. So my parents relocated to Wisconsin. And they gave me the opportunity to come here and dairy farm. And I really wanted to grow vegetables. I really was interested in growing vegetables. And at the time, I was actually getting paid by these folks with these giant estates uh, to pay me to grow vegetables in their vegetable garden. And the thing is, they never ate the vegetables. So I just basically got paid to grow any vegetables I wanted. And I would take those home and can them or what do whatever. And they just wanted to think it was neat that they had an organic garden in their backyard. It's not a bad <laughs> deal if you can get here Where's in Wisconsin. Wisconsin that was, that out, was outside out of Washington, D.C. And then here I applied for an FSA loan and I got it. And that was... An FSA is... Farm Service Agency. And they give loans to uh, beginning farmers They do have a special loan that they offer for what they call socially disadvantaged, which is a woman farmer and people uh, of minority races. So I was able to get a loan because uh, I'm a woman farmer. And I was a little bit scared at first, (laughs) thinking, oh, now I'm going to be dairy farming. But I had my dad here with me, helping me along the way. And that was uh, 14 years ago. And I can't believe I'm still here farming. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And you are such a success story for the FSA program because that's exactly what it's supposed to do. And because women historically have been discriminated against in agriculture and particularly, and FSA is first to admit this, loans of women being denied an FSA loan based on gender, which is hard to prove. You mm-hmm. know, and I realize that is was your business plan not up to snuff. But if you were told to come back with your husband, it might be gender related or your brother. And they're trying to change that. And, and, and that's incentives for women like yourselves to take advantage of. And the thing is, really, especially with dairy farming, you know, that's where I my background. That's where I know a lot of dairy farmers. And people would say to me when I first started farming, well, you're a woman, though. And I thought, wait a minute, my mom milked cows. My grandmother milked cows. It's not just the man that's out there dairy farming. I mean, goodness sakes, it's the women who are getting the taxes ready to submit. It's the women who are doing, you know, paying the bills. They're oftentimes going off the farm to get a part-time job so they can get insurance for their farmer husbands. And so women have been farming since the beginning of time. (laughs) Dairy farming is the Middle English word meaning women farmers. So it, it, you know, it kind of irks you when you. Oh, I hear you. And I mean, I think it's great that that, uh, you know new numbers are coming out every ag census with the increase of women farmers, and the media picks up on this new, in quotes, thing 
Great. The more stories we can get out there, as you do with championing women farmer stories, but it's nothing new. Please. Stop. Yes. <laughs> uh, but but it's great about the FSA loan because as you were telling your story, something for folks to remember is, so the FSA is is really our tax dollars at work to support agriculture when they give loans to beginning farmers like yourself. So we want it to be a good bet, right? So often when a woman is starting in farming, especially if she doesn't have assets, you know, or things, uh, or is, has financial needs to uh, gain that experience and record that experience. And it's things like, even if you have an internship somewhere, to get a letter of recommendation from the farmer, which sounds a little corporate and kind of contrived. But no, those are the kind of things you will need in your application. Because when you apply for an FSA loan, it's somebody like yourself that has experience that will succeed. They just need a boost. Exactly. Exactly. And it's also for people who can't go to that traditional lending system. Mm. And what I want to say about the FSA is that they have been so kind and helpful and I say, well, I'm not sure. I mean, I still I still fill out paperwork every year, and I just had to get some new loans to buy some different things. And they'll come to your house, or you go to the nearest office. They will sit with you. Every agent I've had from the FSA has been nothing but kind and walking me through piece by piece and saying, well, let's try this. Let's do this you know, with different things. Oh, we, we want to help you. We want to help you succeed. And that's what I always hear from them is saying, hey, we believe in you. We want you to succeed. And that's a great thing. That's huge. Awesome. Uh, all right. So where were we? Back in Wisconsin, you've got this farm now. You've got the dairy up and running. Yeah. So I have, what year are we talking about now? I started milking cows in November of 2006. So when I started with about 45 cows and the first year I was transitioning to organic. So I the farm was already certified organic and I was transitioning a conventional herd to ship organic milk. And I was lucky because that's when the conventional milk prices were still 25 bucks, I think, for 100 pounds, which was great. And what motivated you to do organic from the start? I've only known organic farming. My parents, even though they weren't certified when they were farming, I that's what they did. Uh, we always grazed cows. We always did things holistically. Then when we were on the farm in Virginia, uh, we were certified organic there. And so it's all I knew. I... Didn't I really didn't know that people put cows on concrete until you know a few years after I. It doesn't sound was, normal. Does it doesn't it sound normal, and I didn't uh, you know I didn't know that there was these other ways of farming, and so when I started to learn more about my own farm and how to treat cows, I was reading about the approach to let's not treat symptoms. A lot of times with dairy cows, you're treating mastitis as a common problem, and you're treating that that symptom instead of treating the whole cow. So with holistic and organics, what I, when I was reading about this, I was reading, we're treating the whole entire cow. We're starting with that immune system and working our way out. And it just was like, well, that makes complete sense to me. When we were kids, my mom, she was a nurse for 45 years, but she would always take us to the naturopath. So we, we had that, that mindset already. So you were selling your milk. And when did the cheese come in or... I was selling milk for quite a few years, and then my father, in Wisconsin, you have to be a licensed cheesemaker. So my dad went out and got his cheesemaking license. So he had to do a short course in Madison at the university, and then he had to do an apprenticeship for, I think, 240 hours. And we it's have an involved process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And and then you have to renew, you know, all the time. And we have a friend that has a small creamery about 15 miles away from here, and they let us experiment making cheese in their facility. And in my 20s, when in Virginia on the farm, I made cheese 
every day. And I got to learn from a cheesemaker from Vermont who came down and taught us how to make cheese. And we were making the same type of cheese I'm going to be making in the spring. It's a a raw milk cheddar. So it's a Mm. traditional style cheddar that you get in England. And as it ages, it has little crystals that form and we wrap it with cheesecloth. And then we massage those different molds that are created on the outside in to create that rind and give it that flavor. So we made cheese, I think three years ago. And then we stopped when we had to just kind of we said, well, we couldn't take our milk legally over. We'd had to, we'd have to spend fifty. This is the thing about yeah. farming, right? You know, it well, was dairy, especially. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just. I suppose it's a good thing, but it's just like, boy, does it hit you in the face sometimes. And so we were just having them come pick up our milk and take it over. Well, then the state gets involved, and well, now you have to get your milk haulers permit to get it over. Okay, no big deal. We'll take it over in cans because I milk in buckets anyway. Well, no, then you have to buy a $15,000 machine to wash the buckets over there. And then you have to do this. And then you have to get all these different licenses. And so finally, I was like, okay, we'll just build our own creamery. (laughs) At that point, it's just cost effective. Just build your own thing. Yeah. So we started doing that. It, it, I realize it's the reality, but I wish things could be more supportive to innovative small businesses, particularly in dairy, of, particularly where we live here in Wisconsin, and particularly with a lot of women coming up with these new ideas and new ways of wanting to do things. There shouldn't be so many barriers. But. Yeah. I mean, I see. It's like, obviously, they're worried about people just making milk, or, you know, cheese on their stovetop because there's a lot of different pathogens that can get in there. Well, it is mold um, to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. All right. But but it's just, here's the wonderful thing is that wouldn't it be great is if, uh, you know, I know some folks with smaller creameries, if we could say, hey, let's all get together because I'm only going to make cheese twice a week. So if somebody else that was living near me also wanted to make cheese, we could go on a different schedule and say, okay, I'll take Mondays and Wednesdays. You take Tuesday and the Thursdays. And it's beneficial to so many more people. And we could have more of that uh, artisan cheese popping up where people can do it. People can stay on the farm. People can make a living off of that. And we can all co-op together. Sure. new. We need new perspectives like that, for sure. And speaking of new perspectives, so where in the story did the Around the Farm Table idea? About, boy, about 10 years ago, I think. My dad and I, so I lived here at my farm with my parents until they realized I wasn't going to move out. And then they left. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a good strategy. Yeah. <laughs> and so my dad and I were watching during the day. We'd milk in the morning, milk at night. And in the wintertime, there was, you know, we'd get everything fed and watered. And so we started watching um, Netflix shows. There was one show called The Two Fat Ladies. Yeah. It's a show out of the BBC. Oh, my goodness. Was it the best thing we've ever seen? We were just laughing. And it's a cooking show about these two women that would go around England on a motorbike and a sidecar and pick up different ingredients from different farms or fishmongers or different things. And then they'd cook for a group. And it was fun because they were touching on, they were touching a little bit on what local ingredients, what's this, what's this. And then we were watching another show about a chef and also in England, we love every English show ever, big Downton Abbey fans. (laughs) And they, he bought a farm and then he was teaching himself how to farm sort of. And he was talking about food. And my dad finally said to me, he says, we have all these shows about food, but it's all told through the chef's perspective. And really it's the farmers that are growing this food. So we need to do a show about farming, about food. We'll go to these different farms around Wisconsin. We'll gather ingredients and you'll cook at the end and you'll host it. And I was like, well, 
okay, dad, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. And that was, yeah, 10 years ago. And now uh, we're national. So we're uh, in 22 different, different states in Puerto Rico. Wow. Yeah. And we have one really great fan in Puerto Rico. Every time we're on, he'll take a picture of the TV and he's like, just watching my favorite show. And I'm like, oh, that makes me so happy. You're putting not just food and farming, but Wisconsin on the map and women in agriculture on the map. And what a learning curve. I mean, you, I remember you literally just started... We just, just did started, it. Yeah, yeah. We, just, we, we found, got a video camera and made it happen. Yeah, we just started there. making Learned it as you up. go. Yeah, and it, and it's and this is a great thing for people to know is our experience in production and TV was nothing. Our I'm a fourth generation dairy farmer. My dad was third generation dairy farmer. That's what we know how to do. But we knew that there was a need for folks to know what's going on. The diversity of agriculture here in Wisconsin. When I moved here, I thought it was corn, beans, and cows. And it's not, as you know. I mean, it's so diverse. It's so exciting. And we knew that that story had to be told. As a farmer ourselves, we knew that when I was trying to sell my beef or, you know, because I've got bull calves, so I'd raise them and sell them. And it's hard to sell them. It's hard to explain to people why that meat is different or what the story is behind the farm. So we knew that was a huge challenge for all farmers. So we said, hey, let's do it. Let's do a show. And anybody can do it. That's the great thing is anybody can do it. Yeah, true, true. But but you took action. Do you, and what advice would you give somebody who you know is might be sitting on their couch as we speak, or you're watching? Like you you draw inspiration from different things, right? You see things, and you think, hey, we should do this, or we need this, or see an opportunity. What advice would you give for taking the first step? Because that's hard. I realize it is, and I I think you have to, you have to. Don't ever think, well, if I fail, it's okay. Don't even think about if you fail. <laughs> Say, hey, I got some time. I've, you know, let's go see what happens. One thing that my parents taught me, and I, it's so true, is that everything is possible. So when I was a kid growing up, okay, go do this. Everything is possible. When I started farming as a single lady, everybody else thought I was strange, <laughs> but I didn't know any different because everything is possible. And so just know that everything is possible. So even if you say, okay, I really want to get the word out on my farm. I'm doing all this stuff. It's it, This is what's interesting about my farm. You can contact uh, local radio stations, newspapers. You could ask your library if you can come do a talk. Start there and then build your confidence and then find a camera crew and go out and <laughs> pitch a show to PBS. <laughs> hey, one step at a time. But you're so right with all of the outlets today and so many online social media Etc. opportunities to share your story. You just try and see what, what clicks, like well, with yeah. what you did. And a lot of us are holding a video camera in our hand every day. We all have iPhones. Most, you know, most of us have iPhones. So you can create a platform there. And right now people want to, people who aren't farmers really want to know about farming. They want to connect with that farming. So even if you're grabbing and, and the way we found to connect with them is by having the, that cooking, that recipe at the end. So we're showing people what to do with those foods, especially if it's an unusual ingredient we can show i cook a lot with nettles i love wild food <laughs> but you know so you, you can make some interesting scandinavian things too <laughs> yes <that> yes <laughs> require lots yeah but no but 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 it gives people a tangible action they can take and yes feel proud of mm -hmm. and use those ingredients terrific thank you thanks for listening to our in her boots podcast i'm your host lisa kiverest with the moses in her boots project this episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. 
The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, MOSES. The mission of MOSES is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on MOSES, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.